So I want to talk to you guys for a minute. I'm going to carry on with what's happening. As this morning has developed, I'm seeing this trend that God is doing. And what God is really doing in this house and, and everything that's happened so far is leading up to this moment. Look, when I have a word of the Lord, when I have a word for the year, uh, I try as best as I can not to reveal that word to even my team uh, until I re reveal it corporately to you guys. Why? Because I love the, the confirmation of two or three witnesses. And it's important that we have confirmation. Uh, when you're in a house like us and... You flow in the prophetic. What we don't want to do is ever use as an excuse to just decree and declare that God is speaking when he's not. Amen? That's really important. And what happens is, is that many times people will actually take the wrong path or go in a diverted direction that God has called them to. And they'll say, well, the Lord said. And what they do is they're actually shutting down any possibility of correction or accountability. When you say the Lord said, I actually get in trouble many times. If you guys ever watch my broadcasts or see me, many times when I prophesy over people, uh, what I will say is, I feel like the Lord is saying this. I feel like this is what God is doing right now. Why do I do that? And someone said, well, you're just not being confident. You're not being sure. Look, when the Lord comes on me with might and power and the word is so powerfully that I'm shaken, I will deliver it with that kind of boldness. No problem. So why do I do that? Am I unsure the rest of the time? No. What I'm actually doing is leaving room for correction or confirmation. I, I'm, I'm not walking in my own pride. Well, I know the Lord said this, so you just, you just shut up now. You just be quiet. None of you guys can challenge me. I saw a video of a pastor the other day that was just going off on people. Uh, someone came up to the front for prayer and he scolded him and sent him away and had him kick him out of the church. Yeah, it, it, it was incredible. And, and so I'm watching this and I'm like, how prideful that you think you are the only ambassador of heaven, that everything, every revelation, that you are the only man of God in the room. Look, when I get up on this pulpit, I am not the only man of God in this room. I'm not the only woman of God in this room. Okay, I'm not being gender specific here. I'm not the only one that's the man of God in the room. I'm just the man of God in position. I'm the one that God has chosen to speak right now. It's my turn. Okay, I have the conch. If anybody gets that reference. Okay, it's my turn. It does not mean that I am the only person that knows what God is doing in this season. Amen. And so there are probably many of you, as I share this, will understand what God is saying. Say, yeah, that's, that's it. That's confirmation. And so when I give these words, I want you to understand is that I'm giving you what I feel like the Lord is saying right now in this season for us as a church body to judge, as the church to judge. And as I was praying about this word that I wanted to share today, instead of a message today, it really is a prophetic declaration. I wanted to speak specifically into what I feel like the Lord is doing in our church and possibly the church around the world. And so it's very important that we weigh this and act on it and move in it if it's the voice of the Lord. See, here's the thing that happens is that many times we get prophetic words or we get a word of encouragement or someone gives us a word of wisdom. It doesn't even have to be prophetic. For some of you in here that have never flowed in that, that's okay. It just can be a word of wisdom that says you should do. And we sit back and wonder why our life has not caught traction and we're constantly spinning our wheels like a train does and we catch no traction because we've actually taken no action on the words that have been given to us. There are many people in the body of Christ that go out seeking the next prophetic word but have never acted on the previous one. And they're saying, Lord, you promised me this. Why have it not come to pass? It says, because you're still sitting in your lazy boy and you've never taken a step out the door. I promise you new territory and you won't go walk in it. It doesn't do any good. I'm going oh, to make you the biggest lawyer in the city, but you've never gone to school. You've never taken the bar. How are you supposed to become? Well, the Lord's just going to show up and give it to me. Some university is going to call me on the phone and give me an honorary doctorate. That's what I'm waiting on. That's what I'm waiting on. Somebody gave me a word a long time ago, said, you're going to be a doctor. And I said, not unless they give me an honorary doctorate. I am not doing it. <clears throat> but how many of you know if I'm called to that arena, I have to take a step and act. I have to act on that and walk out the word that's given to me. 
So I have a word from the Lord today that's going to take this church, walking it out, the church, walking it out and moving in it to see it come to pass. And so what's amazing is how all of this is lined up. And I started here saying that I don't reveal these things to my leadership when I really feel like there's a strong uh, word of the Lord over the corporate body because I want to see what's happening all around. And what normally happens is that they, they're lining up the words with me and they start to come to me and say, hey, uh, I feel like the Lord is saying this. This morning, Shoshana came to me and said, I feel like the Lord is saying this and I want to release this. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You're going to ruin my word. I said, wait, I'll let you do it at the end. It won't make any sense at the beginning. And so what she was saying to me was lining up with the word that the Lord had given me. So I feel very strongly that right now we are in a season of the lion roaring. You hear the chuckles around the room? Crystal's last... Crystal's laughing the most because she changed three times today and decided she had to wear this lion shirt and a lion hat. Just stand up for a second and show them. Just for a second there. I don't know if the camera can see that, but literally she changed three times. Yeah, stand there for a second. I want you to see this. We right now are in a season where the li- back up so into the light so, so the camera can see you here. There you go. There we go. I, I care about our tech department. All right, so we are in a season right now where the lion is beginning to roar, amen? And I want you to understand that sounds real good. We got lions roaring, but what does that actually mean? If we don't understand what that means, it does us no earthly good. And so what we have to understand is that there's something powerful about the lion's roar. Did you know that out of all the the, the big cats in the world, that the lion in particular has the loudest and largest roar in the kingdom that tigers don't match it uh mountain lions don't match it bobcats don't match it all of these different animals lynx and and all of the big cats panthers none of them have the roar like a lion in fact a lion's roar is so loud that it can be heard for over five miles okay i happen to know this is true about about how cats roar because i live about a mile or so from tiger safari in tuttle So occasionally on a quiet night, you can hear the tigers roaring. But a lion, you would hear that lion roaring for five miles. It has a decibel rating of 115, okay? Let me put that in perspective for you. When you are driving on the highway at 70, your car's decibel rating is 80. When you are worshiping up here and you are in the altar area, you realize like in this room, about road two, it starts to get quieter for the worship. So if you're like, I wish they'd turn it up, just get closer, Okay, I wish they'd turn it down. Just go back further, okay? Just find your happy place, all right? And, and the decibel rating when you are up front here is 95. It peaks at about 95. A lion roars at 115. Hearing damage happens just above that, just above the 90s, okay? And it can happen a little bit lower, but, but real hearing damage, above 100, you are getting into where you're really damaging your hearing. And so a lion roaring right next to you can actually cause damage to your ears, to your hearing ability. If you stood next to a lion and let him roar all day long, you would end up deaf at some point. That's the power of the roar, is that not only is it a powerful and loud roar, but it has the ability to affect you. That's how loud it is. And so a lion will roar in order to mark out its territory or to drive out predators or to call back in its pride that has separated. It is a rallying cry. For five miles, the other lionesses and the other lions can hear that roar and know to come back. And so that lion can call in a five-mile radius. Now imagine you're in the middle. That's five miles north. That's five miles south, east, and west. That's a lot of roar. That's a lot of territory. And isn't it so interesting that, that um, Shoshana had shared with us, she felt like the Lord had taken her into the book of Nehemiah. And the, when we first moved here, the Lord had spoken to her and said, go into the book of Nehemiah. And in the book of Nehemiah, what she found was, is that when Nehemiah returned to the promised land, the king had released Nehemiah to go and rebuild Jerusalem. One of the things he did is by night, he snuck out and inspected the gates of the city, 
And it says specifically that he went and, and inspected each one of these gates. Uh, and it says, by night I went out in Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verse 13, by night I went out by the valley gate towards Jackal Springs and to the Dung Gate. And he inspected the walls of Jerusalem. And it goes on to talk about the different uh, gates that he inspected here. All right, and there was the king's gate. So he inspected these, uh, excuse me, king's pool and the fountain gate. So he moved to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. So there's these four gates that it lists that he inspected before they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, Shoshana, I won't give the whole thing, but Shoshana basically, when she got here, she felt like the Lord was directing her there. So she began to look around just the map and wouldn't you know, within a couple of mile radius, everywhere around us, she managed to find all of these gates. Like literally, as she drove around in the same places that the gates are in Jerusalem, if you look at the map of Jerusalem and each gate, as she drove to where that gate would be based on us being the center, she found each one of them represented. Isn't that amazing? There's more than those four, but she found each one represented. So she found the, the king's gate. She found the fountain. She found, like, she found all these places within a few miles, within the roar of the lion. Within the territory. I'm going somewhere with this. You guys are going to like it. So as we've been exploring that, we're like, wow, Lord, that was a great confirming word that told us, yes, we were supposed to move here. How many... I don't know if any, I was about to say how many of you guys understand, but nobody here really can fully understand the weight that a pastor goes through moving from one community to another, moving his church from another. Statistically, you lose at least 25% of your congregation moving. Okay, that's statistics. We've beaten that statistic so far. I'm excited about what God is doing here. So I know our people encourage, but it is, that is a very scary step to take on a 1960s building, remodel the whole thing, move from one community to another, move to a community you're, un, you're not as familiar with and, and because the Lord told you to do it. It is hard to leave the former land for the next land. Many times, that's what it's like. It is very hard for us to move into the next season that God has called us to when we become comfortable with the last season. It may not be the best season, but we know that season. We know where the comfortable spots are. We know what it's like. Anybody ever want to move out of their house, but it's hard to pull the trigger? You're like, well, I know my house. I know the pride. I know I, like, I'm comfortable here. And so it is very difficult for us to move into new territory many times. Sometimes it's easy, many times it's hard. It's hard to remove what you become comfortable with, right? Ask any guy about his lazy boy. Do I got any stereotype, typical men in here that like the wife wants to get rid of that one chair, but you're like, no, I just broke it in. Took me 15 years to break that chair in, right? But we don't want to get rid of what's comfortable. And so we camp in it and it's hard to move into new territory. So moving in here, that was a confirming word. And look, I, I, wanna, I want you guys to get this. I, I, I tease a little bit. I am a, a person that walks in the spiritual realm, but I tease a little bit about my seers, you know, that every number means something and every person they meet and the name they meet and the, the meaning of their name. And, and they're dissecting and analyzing 500 different things to come up with what the Lord is saying. And I'm like, you know, and, and so a lot of times I'll tease about that. Uh, and so I'm not one of those that focuses on every number. That's not me. Uh, and it, it doesn't mean that, that it's wrong or right. I'm just saying that's not me. I have a couple of those in my congregation that make sure I got that part covered, okay? And then they bring the word to me and I'm like, yes, that's good. But I don't tell them that. I just make fun of them the whole time, okay? Can't let them know that they got, you know, can't let them get a big head about it, right? All right, so, but when we moved here, I'm just playing. When we moved here, we moved to Pennsylvania and 50th Street. And it's no... Uh, coincidence that we moved to Pennsylvania and 50th Street. Pennsylvania, uh, the state of Pennsylvania was named after William Penn. I'm just doing a quick recap. William Penn, who gave a prophetic de declaration that Pennsylvania would have a great revival and would be uh, an example to the nation of what it looked like to serve God, okay? And all of the Pennsylvania state capitol building is covered in prophetic words about what God was going to do in that state. Like literally the whole state capital is covered in prophecy. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. It's one thing to have the 10 commandments, you know, or a couple of scriptures. No, they're prophetic declarations, prophets, 
in a state capital. And so I, you know, so I'm connected to that. And my encounter that I had with the Lord in 2018 happened in Pennsylvania at Randy Clark's. Randy Clark laid hands on me in Pennsylvania, 20 minutes from the capital, laid hands on me. And that was the powerful shift that I had. So I'm moving to Pennsylvania because that's where it started for me. And 50th street being the year of Jubilee being that year. And wouldn't, you know, I looked up in, in the Hebrew to find out when the year of Jubilee would happen. I'm like, I don't even know when that should happen. Uh, and it happens to be this year, right? I mean, it only happens every 50 years. So if I live as long as my father Abraham, I'm only going to see three or four of those. Don't laugh at me. I'm doing it. You guys will see. Thank you. Thank you. Eating right, going to live to 176. That's the goal. All right. So we're moving to a place of jubilee and outpouring. That's what we've done. So we've seen these confirming words. We're across the street from U.S. Grant High School. We're called Freedom Fellowship. We're across the street from a high school named after that which freed the slaves. The movement that freed the slaves, Freedom Fellowship has come in to set the captives free in the year of Jubilee when all debts are canceled and God begins to pour in revelation. That's our word. That's for us here. That is not the corporate word, but that is for us to know that we have moved in and that Shoshana adds all these cool gates around and I'm like, are we gonna build it up? We're gonna rebuild, right? So we got a plumber working on the plumbing right now because it's overflowing in the bathroom and it's like, oh, we gotta rebuild. We got some stones that have fallen. We gotta stack them back on. We gotta put them back. That's just part of the process and it's not fun. Okay? But in Nehemiah's day, not only did they have to rebuild, but they had to defend the walls. It says that they had to hold a sword in one hand and, and the uh, tool in the other. So they were fixing mortar and holding their shields. They would take turns holding javelins, or, uh, uh, spears, and swords. One would guard while one would work in order to protect them against the enemy advancing in. And that's the season that we're in right now. One will guard and one will work. We're moving into a season right now where we're beginning to rebuild what God is doing in America right now in particular. But I want you to catch this. The Lord spoke to me and said, go back into Nehemiah and read it again. So th this week, one morning, I read the entire book of Nehemiah and I went through all of it and said, Lord, what are you saying to me? And I found something that stuck out to me and I believe the Lord has a word for us today for the body of Christ. And it was this, take hold, all the prophets out there, understand that God is saying something about the gates. Isn't it so interesting that they got up here this morning and talked about north and the gates? I didn't speak to them beforehand about that particular thing, but when they said it, I knew, all right, this is the word of the Lord for the corporate body of Christ. But the Lord has had me highlight a couple of things in the book of Nehemiah chapter three. In, verse, in chapter two, we learned about these gates that Nehemiah inspected, like the valley gate and the fountain gate and the king's pool. And these gates were inspected by Nehemiah, but when we get into chapter three, we see something a little different that stuck out to me. It says this, and Elisha, the Kohen, the high priest, and his brothers arose and they built the sheep gate. Wait, hold on. Wait, we mean the valley gate, right? No, the sheep gate, not, not the dung gate. I don't know who wants a dung gate anyways. They probably should wait to the end for that. <laughs> I know, I'm a kid. Uh, what, what about the king's pool? Like, wait, hold on, sheep gate. Okay, that, you know. Okay, fine, they built that one first. But then I read down in verse three, it says the sons of, uh, uh, of Hassian built the fish gate. Wait, not the valley gate, not the dung gate, not the king's pool, not the fountain gate. They didn't build those ones. That's not where they started. So it's so interesting to me that Nehemiah, I start catching this, Nehemiah inspected these big gates, the main gates, but that's not what he started on to rebuild. And the Lord said to me, focus on that. Because you're not wrong that what I'm doing in this season right now in your church, the first one that we see he inspected was the valley gate. He says, I'm taking you into new territory, into a new season. I'm taking you to a new valley. Understand that there is a transition from the desert, from the wilderness into the valley. The valley is where things grow, where you harvest things. It's where all the growth happens. And that's what Nehemiah was inspecting. He saw the harvest to come. 
And I'm speaking to the body of Christ here. There is a harvest to come. We have been talking about this great revival that's coming, the third great awakening, this movement where there's gonna be a billion soul harvest. It is the valley where things grow. So we've been inspecting that gate, but we have not walked in it. But the Lord said, if you will pay attention to what Nehemiah actually did, you'll see the recipe for revival in this. So he said to me this, he said, the very first gate that Nehemiah built was the sheep gate, not the valley gate. You want to get to the valley, you got to rebuild the sheep gate. I said, well, Lord, what does that mean? He says, the sheep represent the people of God right now. Not the ones coming in, not the harvest, not the unsaved. They represent you, the body of Christ, because his sheep know his voice. These are the ones that belong to him. And he said, if you don't start by rebuilding the sheep and making sure they are built up and ready for this season, then you will not see the harvest. The sheep need to be prepared and built back up. And so my job, my assignment is to build you into warriors, build you into shepherds, build you into kingdom citizens that can walk in the authority of what you're about to. You know, the worst thing that happened with Nehemiah was this, is that he came with a bunch of builders and found out he needed soldiers. They never would have rebuilt the walls. See, the enemy didn't need to come on them or advance on them as long as the walls were broken and burned. When your walls remain broken and burned, the enemy knows he has access to you. He doesn't need to come and conquer you. He can just keep messing with you. He can keep you from ever rising up into who you're called to be because you don't have the gates to defend it. So he doesn't have to worry about you rising up into it. It wasn't until Nehemiah started to rebuild the walls that the enemy threatened him. The enemy understood if those walls are rebuilt, they'll become who they're called to be. They'll rise up in power. And as long as their walls are down, they know they can't become anything. Too many Christians have their walls down, their defenses down. They have access points where the enemy can enter at any time he wants to. And it keeps you from moving into your season. So the very first thing that was rebuilt was the sheep gate. Because the sheep need to be built up first. The church needs to be built up if we're going to affect the world. I, I'm telling you what, I love I love my Christian brothers and sisters, but I am so sick and tired of, of Christians being angry at the world for acting like the world. I am so tired of hearing Christians complain about the world. Do you expect the devil to act like an angel? That's called deception. The word says that the, the, that the enemy comes like an angel of light. And we go, oh, we could be deceived. Yet we sit here and complain because the enemy doesn't come like an angel of light. Hollywood is going to act like Hollywood. The entertainment industry is going to act like the entertainment industry. Sinners are going to sin. That's what they do. We need to be building ourselves up so that we can impact real change into their lives. They need an encounter with the Lord. They don't need to act godly when they have no godliness, lest they become having an appearance of godliness but denying the power within. If they look like us, what would set us apart from the rest of the world? How would we be the peculiar people? So we need to focus on the sheep first. In verse 3, it says that then they began to build up the fish gate. Once the sheep gate was secured, once the body of Christ has been built up, once the remnant, the people of God decide, hey, it, you know what? Pew sitting is not for me anymore. I have to be active in this army. I have to hold a spear and build a wall. I need to be active in both. It's not enough to just be present in one and not the other. I need to grow in what I'm called to do, grow in my giftings and pour out into the body. You know what? There was a lot of builders on the wall. There was a lot of people with swords in their hands, but it never says that they were swordsmen. It never says that they were soldiers. It never says they were construction workers for a living. It just, they saw the assignment and they did it with the skill set they had. And the season right now is going to command that the body of Christ just starts to fill holes and walls where they see them. So when you see something that needs to be done, the body of Christ says, do it. You may not be an evangelist, but the Bible says to act as an evangelist, right? Well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't like going out and sharing the word with everyone I see. I don't get passionate about just running around sharing the gospel. I, I, I love it when an encounter happens that's powerful, but th that is not my driving force. My driving force is training and equipping you. 
That's what drives me. But the Bible tells me that I don't have to be an evangelist to act like an evangelist. I see a lost soul, I need to go get it. I, the word, God put something on my heart, I need to reach out to him. Well, I'm not, your excuse that you're not an evangelist does not take you off the hook from acting out what God has put inside of you. So you see a hole, you fill the wall. I don't have to be a construction worker to pick that up and put it back. I don't have to be a construction worker. All I got to do is find somebody and say, this is how much mortar you use? Oh, okay, well, I can do that. I, oh, I, I can get the bricks and hand them to you so you can stack them right. I don't know what I'm doing, but I can hand you stuff. I can get you more supplies. I can, I can do something in this season where I've been called to build and defend until there's a season. See, Nehemiah started out in captivity as a cupbearer for the king. He was a cupbearer, but he wasn't called to that. That wasn't his life assignment. He was a cupbearer first. Then second, he says, I don't want to see Jerusalem devastated anymore. Can I rebuild the walls? So the cupbearer became a construction worker. And he got there and he built the walls. You know what Nehemiah ended up doing? He became the governor of Jerusalem, of Judea, of all of Judea. He ended up ruling over Judea under the king. So he went from a cupbearer to a construction worker to a governor. He filled in the places that his leadership had given him access to. He was a leader and he filled a hole when he saw a hole. When he saw a need, he jumped in and led out of his identity. So the second gate that we see is not the sheep gate. Once the church is established, the second gate is the fish gate. And what God is saying in this season is, is that the fish represent the harvest. Peter was told, I'll make you a fisher of men. So Peter was given a harvest of sheep, uh, excuse me, a fish. He was given a harvest of fish. And then he was told, leave those because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so once the church has built up the body of Christ, once you're built up, then we can go get the harvest. But we can't go bring in the lost, the unsaved, the untouched, the unreached, unless we are in a place that we are built up already to build them up. So the God is saying that once we are built up, he's going to give us the heart. He's going to begin to bring in the unsaved. And so as we reach into this community for us, this is a word for the church, but as our church reaches into this community, we raise up and then we'll be able to impact the people around us and begin to see a harvest come in that happens. Now, the third thing that happens is they build up the old gate. So as we are built up and as new people are coming in here and hearing the word of God, they're hearing something different from us in our perspective. See, the, the issue is, is that this is just not about church planting and sharing the gospel. This is about doing it the Jesus way. And in the old gate, we're returning to the old way. We're returning to the ancient of days way. We're not talking about religion. See, the religion part was torn down here and we have to rebuild it the right way. And so the old religious systems have been broken. And now we need to rebuild it in the ancient of days, not in tradition. And so the ancient of days is like this. Jesus said, go therefore into all the world and proclaim the gospel and do no signs and wonders. No, oh, no, I'm sorry. I got that one wrong. Uh, Jesus said this, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we're returning to the way that Jesus did it, to the model that Jesus said, where we're going to show God's love through his power, through his outpouring, through the physical manifestation that God is still leaving, living, breathing, and active in the world. Amen? And I said, Lord, is this really a word for the church, or is it just a word for our church? Shoshana came up and approached me this morning, was sharing that with me. And she, she said, I want to share with you what I feel like the Lord is saying for this year. And I said, don't. But she did manage to say, I, I said, well, I'm talking about a word that I have from the Lord now. And it's from the book of Nehemiah. I continued on. She goes, that's where mine's from. So I know the Lord is speaking. I know the Lord is speaking right now. So I said, Lord, is this really a word from you? I need a little bit of confirmation here that it's for the whole church and not just our church. And so the Lord said, keep reading down. And so I read down to verse 8, and I saw this. They restored Jerusalem 
as far as the broad wall. That this is not a narrow word for our church, but it is a broad word for the church. Not just for this section of Israel, this section of Jerusalem, the church represents that, but for the broad for all of Judea, in other words, for all of the body of Christ, for all of the church body, is that we need to start taking care of our sheep, raising our sheep up, then go after the harvest, and we need to go after it by using Jesus's model instead of our church model or our American church model or our corporate model or our business plan to build congregations. For too long, we've built congregations where people come, sit, watch, and observe and leave. And God wants his sheep active, building, fighting, preparing, and watching. Amen? And so I believe that, that God is about to do something. Why is he doing this? Because the harvest is about to happen. The greatest harvest of souls has already begun. And, and you've heard me say this, is that we're not waiting on, this is not a, we're going to see it, we're going to see it, and we never see it. This is a word for right now. We have already begun to see it. If you follow me or follow any of the other ministers that are walking in this, you will see that they are seeing crazy signs and wonders and miracles. They are seeing an increase in meetings and, and deliverances and salvations. And they're seeing this increase happen. In fact, if you talk to people that go around on the streets just sharing Jesus, they will tell you more people have come to Jesus in this season right now than ever before. What used to be difficult to talk to people about God has become, please tell me there's hope for me. Someone says, hey, I want to talk to you about some hope for you. And they go, oh, you have hope. Please, please, I need some hope. I'm, I'm not the one looking around the room all the time, desperate to do it. We were at lunch last week. We went to uh, Marco's and we went and had some Mexican food around the corner here. And right before we left, Papa Bill says, I want to go pray over that baby right there, this little toddler in the seat over there. And he went over there and said, I see some things over your child here. Can I pray for your child and decree them? And the, you know, the, the family said, uh, sure, okay. So he began to pray over this little toddler. And the toddler just sat there totally dead quiet, just receiving everything. I mean, he just sat real still. Bill was behind him, so the toddler couldn't even see him. But this toddler just sat completely, uh, uh, just soaking it all in. I'd never seen that before. And, and as I looked to see the responses, you know, here we are, you know, and you see Papa Bill up here. Okay, so he was exactly Papa Bill there. So he was like, you know, I was just so afraid he was going to smack that kid on the head. You know, he had good control of his Holy Spirit arm, you know, but he was praying over him and his hands started going like that. And I said, oh, he's going to hit this kid in the head. <laughs> Parents are going to call the man. They're assaulting my child. Right. But he, you know, he had good control over his Holy Spirit hand, but he's decreeing and prophesying over this kid. And I'm looking to see what the mother uh, uh, and the friend's reaction are. And they're bawling. They're crying. And then we leave and Cindy's like, oh, I got to go back in there. She feels like she has to go back in there. She goes back in there and gives some words uh, over the, the, the other family members and they're all crying again. Okay, so they begin to cry. They're at a, at a restaurant having lunch on a Sunday afternoon. They're impacted by the power of God. See, when the sheep know what they're doing, we can go and get the harvest. We can go get the fish. And when we operate in the way that Jesus taught us to, build, get rid of the old religious system and start doing it in the ancient of days ways, we're going to see a greater increase over what God is doing right now. And that's when we'll begin to see the church have a broad impact over the world. Amen? Amen. So I believe that right now we're in the year of the lion. And the Lord was talking to me. I said, Lord, I need a little more to put this together. Why, why right now? Why the roar? What's happening? And the Lord reminded me that, that uh, in November of 2020, we hit the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. Okay, and 400 years are, are very prophetic years in the Lord. Four, there was 400 years of silence. They're called the quiet years or the silent years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are 400 years of slavery because the 400 shows up a lot of times in the word of God. 400 years of, of silence, of God not moving in Israel's behalf while they were in slavery. 400 years of, of quiet, I should say. It wasn't silence, but it was quiet over the whole nation for those 400 years. There were still prophets speaking in those days. There was just not a national prophetic voice. There wasn't a national movement of what God was doing in those 400 years. There were still prophets prophesying in individuals' lives. 
okay? And, and that's for another time, but I can teach on that and, and walk that out. But you have these 400 years, and so the Lord reminded me of that. And so I said, well, Lord, that's 2020. He says, it's 2020 according to the Roman calendar. He says, but that was the year 5781 that you were in when the Mayfire Compact renewed. And he says, you're now in the year 5782. It was literally, uh, we walked in to it this year. This is the first year of 401. It's a new season. This right now we are in. So when I'm talking 2022, I'm actually not giving you a word for 2022. I'm giving you a word that goes back into the beginning of, uh, or uh, towards the end of 2021, into the Jewish calendar that God goes by. Okay? So I want you to understand that, that I'm teaching you that. So this is not a year for, this is not a word for January. This is a season that we're in right now that God is saying, I'm about to escalate that and bring it to pass. And so it is a new season. It's not the season of quiet anymore. It's not the season for things to get quieter. It's the season for things to begin to roar. And the, and the Lord says this, that as I roar, I'm going to begin to bring damage to the ears of the enemy that he can't hear you or see you so that you can walk in the fullness of what you're called to do and that you are brought. See, the great thing is, is that darkness hides you, but light hides you better. Because my eyes will adjust. You give me a dark night, my eyes will eventually adjust and I will see shadows. But if you bring a bright light and shine it right in my eyes, I can no longer see a thing. There's a reason... Why, when police officers raid into somewhere or soldiers raid into somewhere, they all have big lights that they shine right in the enemy's eyes to confuse them so they can't see the movements. Amen? There's a reason why they're not dark bangs. They're flash bangs that they throw in because when the light hits you like that, your eyes can't adjust as well. So it turns out that you can be blinded better by light than you can darkness. Ask Paul about it. He had... Nobody turned off Damascus lights on him. But the light, and we're walking into a season right now where God is blinding the enemy to our movements and allowing us to walk in a greater fulfillment of what he's called us to do. He's illuminating our path by blinding the enemy. And so as the church, we need to take advantage of this prophetic word. We need to move into this season. I'm telling you right now, let me give you, okay, well, that's a great word for the church. What does that mean for you? If the church is going to do it, it means you individually have to do it. It means that God has a plan and a purpose for your life that you're about to walk into this season. Because if the church is going to do it, it means each individual has to rise up into who they're called to be. Each individual is going to come up into their season. Each individual is going to start to make that way. You're going to start to see God move in your individual lives to bring you into alignment of what he's doing in the corporate body. And so if you've been waiting for God and say, God, when is it going to be my turn for you to fulfill what you put on my life? You have an opportunity right now to build it. Let me say this. If you're waiting for God to bring you into it, you need to understand that God is giving you a fixer-upper in this season. That's what he's doing. Because he expects you to walk in it. He expects you to build it. He expects you to be obedient, to defend it and build it. And so God is going to give you an opportunity, but you have to walk in it. This cannot be something that you sit back and wait on the check in the mail. That's not what we're in. There are moments and seasons. Look, let me tell you when you can sit back and wait for the check to show up in the mail. I mean, so many Christians are just dependent on that. Well, I believe God and I'm just going to stand on the word and he's just going to show up and give me a check in the mail. Yeah, that happens. It definitely happens. Come on, amen. I'm glad that God loves us enough that he spoils us sometimes, right? God is way more kind than me. I'm like, no, you better work harder for that. I ain't giving you, that's mine. Ask my kids. They come to me and say, dad, I need a new pair of shoes. It's going to cost me 50 bucks. I'm like, 40 bucks? What do you need 30 bucks for? 20 bucks is a lot of money for shoes. Fine, here's 10 bucks. Get some at Walmart. It's in my blood, okay? That's who I am. That's just what we do. And, and so God is more kind than I am. He's more generous than I am. I'm so grateful that he does those things more than I do. And I look at his example and I try to follow it. I try to learn and build myself into that image. 
it's a struggle sometimes and sometimes it's easy, just like all of us. But I'm telling you right now is that the season where checks in the mail show up, where, where you just sit around and God gives you provision and you get to just hang out and do nothing and God's providing for you, those are called desert seasons. I want you to understand that the season for the Israelites where God poured out that way, manna from heaven, their clothes and their shoes did not wear out and everything was provided for them was in a season where they were not where they were called to be. It was in a season where they had not taken the land God had assigned them to. It was a season of in-between. So if you think that's where you're supposed to camp out at, you are wrong. God wants to bring you into a promise, and the promise season is not one where the checks in the mail show up and everything just runs great and nothing in your house breaks down. It's the season where you got to contend for it, where you have to fight for it, where you have to build it, where you got to fight those are the seasons where you know, oh, I am right where God has called me to be. Why? Because the building has started. Because God has given me the fixer-upper. If you are just used to sitting and having God take care of everything while you do nothing, you may be in a desert season. You may be in between the place that God has called you to. And those are great. And God has us in places where we don't get wore out in the in-betweens. God provides for us the manna from heaven. He provides for us. He causes our things to last longer than they should so that we can make it through it, not live in it. Your assignment in that season is to go past it. Amen? We need to stop trying to look for it. God will provide for me. But I'm just going to walk forward into my calling and know that if God called me to it, he'll provide for it. He'll give me the resources to do it. But I'm not going to stand still. I'm going to, walk, I'm going to walk around my walls of Jericho and start watching things fall down. That's what I'm going to do. And so Shoshana told me this morning, I'm going to have Shoshana come up. Um, Shoshana told me this morning that, um, I did not know this, but that Chuck Pierce also was talking about the, the word of the Lord for this year was out of Nehemiah. And so I didn't know this. I didn't research it. I didn't look at what the other prophets were saying until I had the voice of the Lord that said that it's the lion's roar and it's the season for the lion's roar. Then I looked to see if anybody was also saying that so I could confirm it. And of course, I found a few. I'm like, okay, all right, we're on track here. But I didn't see anybody talking about Nehemiah because I wanted my prophetic word to be right from the Lord and not um, out of, uh, uh, not out of alignment, but, but uh, uh tailored or contoured by another prophet's word. Amen? Now I can get agreement. Once I've received the word and given the word, we can look for agreement from what else is happening here. But Shoshana had some uh, uh, insight into this and she had something that she wanted to do and I think it's going to matter at the end here as we close this. It's on. So a couple things. Um, Nehemiah 1, or Nehemiah 3, 1 rather, um, and Apostle Wren already touched on this, the sheep gate. But who built the sheep gate? It was the priests. The Kohanim built the sheep gate. So if you're wondering where to start, you have to be properly aligned in order to be built up. Properly aligned does not mean that you're sitting in your lazy boy recliner every Sunday at home and watching your favorite preacher online. Properly aligned means that you come into the house God has assigned you into and you get trained up and raised up to become who you're called to be. I find it interesting that priests were building because that's not usually what priests do. But in Nehemiah, priests we're building. I have gone through that season for the last month. I know you have. I know. So have I. So have a bunch of us, as a matter of fact. So another thing after the old gate was rebuilt was the dung gate. And Apostle Wren touched on the dung gate. Um, but it's interesting because if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, there were five gates that we found right here in this neighborhood. And I asked the Lord, I mean, the other gates were obvious. The actual names were embedded in the community. But I asked the Lord about the dung gate. And he said, he reminded me that right over here where the dream center is, 
there is an apartment complex that has more 911 calls than any place in the entire metro. And he said, and that's what the enemy calls the Dungate. Those are the trash of humanity that live there. They have no hope. They have no future. They're trapped by drugs and alcohol and every evil thing. And the Lord said, that's the Dungate. So we went over there last Saturday morning. The Lord said, I want you, to, when you make the circuit and you drive through all of these gates, the two gates need to be renamed. And two of these gates, he said, I want you to take a white stone and drop them at these two gates. And that's in Revelation, a white stone and a new name. And so Cindy provided us with a couple of white stones. And then when we made the circuit to the gates, the first gate we went to was the Dragon's Well. And we renamed that Redemption. Amen. And then the next gate we went to after that, we started at the Valley Gate just like Nehemiah did. The next gate we went to was the Dung Gate over here where the enemy said, this is, this is the dung, the trash of humanity. And the word came forth that these are treasures in earthen vessels. And we need to find the treasure in the Dung Gate. And so we renamed that gate treasure and we dropped that second white stone over there in the treasure well when you get into nehemiah chapter three you see where they're rebuilding the dungate and the interesting thing about it is you if you look up all those words in the hebrew it's very interesting how and who is rebuilding the dungate because what's happening here is that you see that the sun correlates with the sun, Yeshua. And you see the vineyard pictured in there. And you see the picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that verse is rebuilding the Dungate. And what the Lord is saying is, I myself am going to come. And, and after the fish gate is built and the evangelists go, I myself am going to go and I'm going to illuminate within their hearts what I'm doing in their lives and I'm going to restore my treasures. Amen. God is speaking through the dung gate because it's now the treasure gate. Amen. And so the last prophetic act that the Lord spoke for us to do was he said when you're done going to all these gates when you come back during the 24-hour burn on Saturday morning I want you to blow the shofar and make prophetic declarations that's the trumpet and for many we, of you yeah the, the trump of God and I want you to release the roar of the lion and I said okay Lord what does that look like and he said I want you to do it at dawn well, dawn last Saturday occurred at 7.38. So I looked up 7.38 in Strong's Concordance in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And the Greek for the number 7.38 is newborn. And in the Hebrew, it's Ari, and Ari stands for lion. So the Lord is saying, we were born to roar. Come on. And so Saturday morning at exactly 0738, we released the roar of the lion in this house. We blew the shofar. We made prophetic declarations. And the roar of the lion from this house went out to all those gates that we had already been to. What are the chances that that number at dawn represents the lion's roar? What, are there, is there any possibility that that could have happened on that day that that number was the dawn. God is speaking right now. So it's interesting that this whole prophetic word that God has been really just putting together, um, we didn't talk about all this stuff. I didn't talk to him last night about what God was showing me. As a matter of fact, I wrote an entire report on where we had been and what God was showing me. Um, last night at about 10 o'clock. And Apostle Rand has not seen that report yet. But guess what the word he brought forth. You think God is speaking in this season? Come on. Get ready. Get aligned so that you can be trained up, 
So you can go out there and get those fish and watch God change dung into treasures. Come on. <laughs> Where's your shofar? Where's your shofar? Oh. So we're going to roar, church. We're going to roar. We're going to release, release a hallelujah. We're going to release an amen. Stand up with me for a minute. We're going to close with this. We're going to roar. We're going to release this. Look, I, I don't care. You, you could, you, she could have looked up the word for Ari and said, 738, we want to release the lion's roar. So that's the, the time we're going to do it. But the Lord told her to do it at dawn and release a roar. And when she looked up the, the, that, that time stamp, it was Ari. And so uh, I know I, I, uh, I play a little bit with the numbers and stuff, but God speaks through that stuff so that there is confirmation of his word. Amen. He leaves you clues that say, hey, this is really me. I know people that when I first teach them how to hear God's voice, when I go through that, how to hear God's voice class, which we're going to do in February again, how to do, uh, how to hear God's voice. Many times people will come to me and say, the first thing I heard was some strange word I don't know. And, I, and they say, what am I supposed to do with this word? I said, look it up in the Hebrew or the Greek. God's saying something to you. So they look it up and find out the word they heard was Hebrew or Greek. And they find the word and it says, that's the word. And I said, had you heard the word in English, would you have believed it was the Lord? And they said, well, no, because it's something that's on my heart. So I would have thought I was projecting it. But because God gave it to them in another language, they could not dispute that it was God. And so God will leave these little breadcrumbs, these little trails for us. These little trails that let us know that this is the Lord speaking. And so God has spoken here today about what he wants you to do. And so your declaration, your proclamation will be this. I will be the sheep that God raises up in this season. I will allow you, Lord, to raise me up, to train me, to quit me, to bring me in alignment so I can walk in my assignment. That God is moving you into that place. And I will be a part of the harvest. I will be a fisher of men. I will be what you've called me to be and I will play my role. Whether that's the one casting the hook or the one cleaning the fish. You may be the hook caster, the evangelist out there. Or you may be the shepherd and the, one, and the apostle that's raising them up, that's cleaning the fish. But you serve a role in the boat. You serve a role in this harvest. It's time for us to move into that and to claim what God has given to us by raising up into it. Amen. So if that's your proclamation, I will be raised up. I will let the Lord raise me up. I declare in this season, God, I'm tired of being what I want to be. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be everything you've made me to be. Not a lesser version of what I see. But God, what you see, illuminate my steps. Illuminate my identity that I might walk in it in the fullness of who I'm called to be. I don't want to miss a single thing. I don't have to be the greatest, but when I get to heaven, I want God to say, you did what I called you to do. You saw what you were supposed to see. I want to know I walked in my assignment, that I ran my race, that I finished it well. And I'm telling you right now, church, you can't run a race sitting still. We got to move. We got to go. We're not waiting on a move of God. We are the move of God. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.